Somebody asked me yesterday if I liked yard work. And I said yes. That was before I'd finished spending three hours weeding my lawn. I, I just, oh, it was, I have a new interpretation of the parable of the weeds. You know where Jesus says, let them all grow up together. Because now I think that they're just all weeds. Because if you took all the weeds out of my lawn, it would be dirt, I think. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, though, getting into the story helps when Jesus teaches. And we're in Mark chapter 5 today. And if you have your Bibles and want to go there, we're, that's, we're going through this amazing presentation of Jesus. And it's relentless, Mark is, as he pushes into who Jesus is for you and for me. It's actually really important because oftentimes in my own life, and I know in yours, we, we hear Jesus a lot. And so even what we're going to talk about today, we hear three amazing presentations of the power of Jesus. And it's really easy to say something like, yeah, Jesus, he's really powerful. Like, duh. Of course he is. And we're on to the next thing. And you don't feel, you don't understand, you don't take in the wonder of what Jesus is and what he's doing as it impacts you and me. So I call you to that today. I hope you'll be shocked, refreshed, we'll worship. Um, Mark gives us chapter 5, I think, to present to you and me that Jesus is our rescue. He's our rescuer. Only he can rescue. And when he does, he's reaching out to the unclean and the lost And the worst, the dead, in in every case, it's mercy, not justice. And I want us to think about that as as a family, as a community, as a body, even individually. Who are you? So Marcus, he's relentless, and we're talking today about rescue. Are you Are you shameful? Superstitious, maybe not thinking exactly rightly, oppressed, unclean, dead. See this Jesus. Look what he does. Okay, so we're going to start out in chapter 5, and we're going to go through these stories together. I hope, try to think through, and with me, we'll do it. Enter in. Pick the weeds. Get your fingers dirty. What's going on? We'll start in chapter 5, verse 1, with the man in the tombs. Here we go. They, that's the disciples and Jesus together, came to the other side of the sea. And remember, we're just coming off where the sea and the storm was raging and Jesus was sleeping. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? I've got you. So now they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Jezerines and when, or the Gerasenes. And, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, so they've crossed this Sea of Galilee. They're on the east shore there. That's where this area is. And one of Mark's favorite words, immediately. So the next scene starts, poof, the curtain comes up, and here comes this meeting him, man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out 
and cutting himself with stones. Okay, stop there for a minute. When you initially hear this man and he's got an unclean spirit, it's him, right? He's he's the guy and something's wrong with him. In Africa, people who are acting like this, we call them foo. It just means crazy. They do crazy stuff. They strip naked in the street. They're screaming and yelling. They're doing things crazy. This man, he tears at himself. He cuts himself. He doesn't have hope. And, and so this man of the tombs, he's living in a place where no one goes. Tearing at himself. Doesn't know any mercy. They're crying in the night he is. And you can almost hear him crying out at night. And an unclean spirit. So I don't initially think demon. That's not the word for demon there. It's just that he's unclean. There's something wrong with his spirit. It's him. And he's acting in a way that's obviously shameful. I mean, they're trying to shackle him, but what he thinks freedom is to break his chains. And so he does. He breaks every chain, and now no one will even touch him. Night and day, he's crying out. And, and then that line, cutting himself. It's like he, he, he wants to die or he wants to hurt himself. He's tormented. He's shameful. He can feel pain. Can't be touched. Utter inability, utter hopelessness, inability of himself. He thinks he's free, but he's not free. He's always oppressed. And 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 by the way, not not necessarily innocent. Doesn't say, oh, this poor man. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. It's interesting that it's not an issue of Jesus coming to fight. It's the man coming and running to Jesus, this this calling out. So why is he doing that? It's because Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. This is a, it's an amazing story. Let's finish up this piece. So when Jesus asked him, what's your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And, and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Okay, now now we understand this unclean spirit was, was, was some entity that called legion, and there's many. Legion means many. And, and then there they go into the pigs, and they rush into the sea. It's like, this is just weird. 
This has been used, by the way, by such great thinkers as Augustine and Thomas Aquinas to say, now look, animals don't have rights. Look, humans are much more valuable. Look at God doing this with pigs. They're missing the point. Hold the thought of the pigs. We'll get there. But, But see the words of Jesus, right? Will you see them? Come out of the man, Jesus was saying. Jesus is speaking first because he was saying, right? That's how it's presented. The man comes running up to Jesus because Jesus was saying something. He was and he saying, I don't like that. Jesus initiates. The man comes running because Jesus has said something. And this immediate attention and the confrontation. It's not a fight. It's not Jesus draws his sword and goes to battle against legion. Jesus speaks and the unclean spirit answers. The tone all the way through is Jesus Christ is in charge. There's no question. There's no talking back. The, the, the legion is begging Jesus. Don't make me leave. By the way, he doesn't say, don't let me leave the man. He says, don't let me leave the country, the place. This is my place. Okay, what's going on? Pick it apart with me just a little bit more because very interesting thing. So this man is out there and he's being tormented. The idea is is that this demonic being, these that this this spiritual being is tormenting him with reason. Who knows what the guy's done? Who knows what terrible things he's done? And so he's in there tormented and ashamed. And he's in there doing things, but he's tormented. And, and, and then here comes Jesus. I don't like that torment. And then the demon says, well, well okay, well, don't send me away. This is my place. This is the, the place I've been given authority to be in. Psalm 82, right? And when Jesus says, okay, go to the pigs, he just, boom, there he is. Right away. Absolute authority, no fighting. Jesus, high above this legion as you are, maybe above a dog. I'm in charge, Go. I still don't understand. You say, okay, I get it. I get it how Jesus would say to this, I don't like the torment. I don't like this amazing, terrible picture. And Jesus presenting himself as a rescuer. But I understand the pigs. Well, watch what happens. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city, in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. They all know this guy. He's been, been tried to chain him up because he makes all this noise and he's doing all this stuff out there. It didn't work, and now they come to see. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Yeah, uh, even says, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and, and, and to the pigs. That's why I think Jesus did it, right? At least to the pigs. Not to to, to kill some unclean spirit, right? They're not going to die anyway. So let's go kill the spirit. Let's put him in the pigs. Think about this. So Jesus casts the pig, the, the unclean spirit, from the man to the pigs, and then the pigs all run into the sea and drown. Did the unclean spirit die? No. The pigs died. So that you could see the different response. Look at the response of of, of group number one. 
oh my goodness, this is totally shocking and terrible. Look at all those pigs that died. 2,000 of them. That would feed the whole town for a year. Right? Costly. That's where the focus is, right? This man healed, the pigs lost. And the the follow-up is the man that came and encountered this man. They couldn't control. They couldn't fix. And and now he's fixed. He's healed. He was super weird. And now he's normal. And and this legion demon going into 2,000 pigs and run him into the sea. And you lost the herd at this incredible cost. And you start thinking, this is just too strange. Some weird stuff is going on. Jesus... Jesus, please go away. That was verse 17, right? They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. It's not, oh, wow, you just you just amazingly cured this demon-possessed man. Nope. This is, this is too much. Some people bring out, why were they raising pigs? I mean, Jews couldn't even eat pigs, so it's, it's some financial thing. They're just being normal people. They're raising their... their lives they're working they're doing their thing that's i don't need this interruption in my life and the interruption is what jesus the interruption in their life is jesus the thing they're faced with that they can't control is jesus and guess what no i don't need any of that beg him to depart So, so there's this reaction number two from the man who was actually saved. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he didn't permit him. Jesus didn't. But said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord's done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And, and, and he went away and began to proclaim to the... In, Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So, so the second reaction is, Jesus, I want to be with you. And he says, No, you can't go with me. Just tell everyone about the what? The mercy. And so he does. He returns to his family. He's got stories to tell, mercy and madness, heaven and hell, and and and, and knowing who he was, and and even the 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 Perhaps the reason why that happened, here here I was, and yet I've been delivered. Delivered by who? By Jesus. This would require him being transparent about what he actually was. What the rescue actually was. And that's the divide, right? Afraid of your world being rocked. Afraid to say, man, the only thing I have is Jesus because I don't really want to be bothered. My life's going a certain way, and that I just want to keep strange stuff over there because that's what we do a lot. And, and, and Or, man, Jesus is everything. Look, I've got something to tell you about the mercy of God, and that means opening up to this reality of, you know what? I, I, I'm like the demon guy. I'm shameless sometimes and shameful a lot, and, and I do, and look who's delivered me. It's not a question of, well, does this happen today? It's a question of who are you? Do you need rescue or are you raising pigs? Right? I hope, I hope you and I can see what Jesus sees. You and I who are broken and shameful and afflicted and sinners. That, that, that somehow Jesus comes in and he sees. And when he sees, he doesn't see weeds. He sees this incredible, amazing person that he's going to rescue. 
That's what happens here, and that's how Jesus is presented. And this is the first story. Our hope is in Jesus who rescues, who's victorious, who's over the demonic, who's over any other authority. He is the authority. This is our Savior. That's amazing, and Mark's not done. He keeps going. It's not just about this man of the tombs. It's about an unclean woman. Because watch with me. More stories. Mark's putting these stories in front of us. It's not just that Jesus can heal, because he can. He's healed thousands. He wants us to see these. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat, verse 21, to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and, and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So here's the entreaty of a synagogue ruler. Nice contrast, huh? Man of the tombs who's like, oh, Jesus, demon possessed. Whoa. And synagogue. So it's not just that Jesus is going with, because here's Jesus went with them, right? So he went with them, with the man who had privilege and prestige. Sometimes we make Jesus just about, oh, he's special to the poor. And he is. I mean, the poor are afflicted. But he's to every human being because we're all poor. Spirit. Here's someone entreating Jesus. He goes. It's an amazing thing just thinking about who just left with all the pigs. And they're sad. They want Jesus to go because, the man, he's ruining the pig industry. Here it's like, no, whatever everything's... Not working for this man, but he has a position of authority. And here's this Jesus, and Jesus is doing strange things out there, and so he's got to somewhat humble himself because because maybe his he's thinking Jesus' theology is, is, is not right. Maybe Jesus isn't saying the things that all my friends are saying. Or but I, I'll tell you what: where the rubber meets the road, my kid's dying. I'll do anything. That drives him to come to Jesus. She's dying. I'm going to grasp at every straw. What's his plea? Help, help. And Jesus comes with him. Mark does this a lot. He starts a story and then just leaves you hanging there. Puts another story in it because here's the story we're talking about then. Because a great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him as he's walking with the synagogue ruler. And they're going to lay hands on his daughter who's really, really sick. And boom. Boom. There's a woman who'd had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who'd suffered much under many physicians, spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This is why I left medicine. (laughs) Those physicians, you just see them a lot and you get worse. No, no, no. Sorry. 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 That's not always true, right? But she hasn't. She, she's just been getting worse. She's not getting better. And she'd heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Hard to understand in our culture that why this is not a great picture of this woman. Because she'd been bleeding for 12 years, that means she was ritually unclean. She's not supposed to be around other people. 
That's just how it worked. Blood made you bleed. A discharge of blood made you unclean. She's been bleeding. She's unclean. She's not allowed to just go out in society and be around people and touch them. What happens when she touches people? They become unclean. They can't go to the temple and worship. They can't be in normal society like that. They've got to be go through rituals and go through cleansing themselves. So here she is. Very selfish for you to go out there and do that. What are you doing? And, and now she's going to go touch Jesus. Now she's going to make Jesus unclean. Plus, bad theology, right? Since when does such touching... You know, do we believe in the, the powerful clothes? Jesus sneezed in a handkerchief. It's going to cure people. That's a superstition. It's not a rational thinking. Ick. Someone like this, you kind of think, well, okay, fine. They're just sort of out there, and I just, I kind of want them to go away. So I don't understand this in verse 29. It says, immediately, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Not in the world. It's not supposed to work like that. She felt like what? An electric shock? I mean, we're kind of, I feel like we're in superhero movies all of a sudden. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned into the crowd and, and said, who touched my garment? On the world part two. Now Jesus felt power exiting the clothes. Who touched me? And I can just imagine the disciples. They're pressed in with people all around him. Here they are all jostling together. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, who touched me? Uh, everybody. in the Everybody's walking together. Everyone's touching you. In fact, that's kind of what they do, right? The disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around against you, and yet you say, who touched me? What kind of question is that? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. I love that because what it does is it says the woman comes and says, you know what, I've, I'm unclean. And I just had in my head that if I could touch your garments, that, that, that I'd get healed. And, and it was wrong for me because I'm not supposed to touch anyone when I'm unclean. And I'm not even supposed to be in society when I'm unclean. But, you know, Jesus, I just wanted to be close to you and touch your garment. I thought maybe. And, and, and it worked. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I mean, come on, wrong mode, wrong science, wrong idea. Jesus closed on a power, unclean woman, no right to touch anyone, much less the son of God. But here's the thing, right object, right? Jesus. And, and, and Jesus heals her. Jesus is the object by which she's healed. Go in peace, he says, no correction of her bad theology or bad science or bad thinking. Be healed because Jesus heals. And 12 years of bleeding is done and she leaves in peace. Who are you? 
Do you see yourself as unclean? If only you could be close to Jesus. Or you think, man, I, you got to do it right. you got to make sure all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. But in the midst of this amazing story, it's an amazing story, isn't it? The very touch of Jesus' garment, just an amazing thing that it would become clean. And you see why the Catholics go after relics and stuff. Because if, if objects like Jesus' clothes could heal people, but Jesus did this for a reason. To show she shouldn't even have been around him. She wasn't thinking rightly. Just his presence. There's a little sour note in it because, because like Mark, they're called Mark and Sandwiches. He starts a story and gives another one. Then he ends the story. Remember, he was going along the way and he's being pressed and around because he's going to go pray for this daughter of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. So this third little piece is the dead daughter. Because while he was still speaking... Jesus was, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Okay, pause with me for a minute and realize, I get it, right? Opportunity cost. I know that when I was, um, boy, first early in ministry, one of the elders there, his name was Lauren Clark, really neat guy, but he taught me about opportunity costs. He's like, this is the thing. If you do A, you can't also do B. I know that sounds dumb, but it's people like us who want to do everything. And you just can't do everything. If you go help someone move on Saturday morning, you can't also go to your daughter's recital on Saturday morning. If you give your money to this ministry, you can't also give your money to this ministry. You make choices, and the choices you may have consequences, and so it's opportunity cost. And here we've had opportunity cost. Right? I mean, oh, well, we missed it. At least you healed the woman who had been suffering a long time. And it's a judgment call. Save the one who's most, most worthy, really, who really had faith, who was choosing Jesus. And, boy, death happens. It's the great equalizer. It's going to happen to everybody. That's the end. Oh, no. Not with Jesus. But overhearing what they said. And we're not actually even talking to him. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Fear what? Fear Jesus? I mean, that's what they were fearing before. They were afraid, afraid of Jesus, afraid of what was happening. The other is don't fear, but only believe. Fear, fear, uh... Fear death or believe what? The girl's dead. So it says he allowed no one to go with him to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. People are weeping and wailing because death is the great ender. Little girls died. And when he'd entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Um, wait a minute. I know Jesus can raise the dead. So when Jesus says this, I think maybe he's lying. You guys think that? Think maybe Jesus says, okay, well, I'm going to raise her from the dead, so I'll just tell him that they're sleeping, but she's not really sleeping. Or, or, or is there something more going on? Because does Jesus lie? I don't think Jesus lies. So maybe he said, okay, well, maybe he's saying that, that when, when we die, we don't really die, but we sleep. 
Sometimes the Bible uses sleep for death. I mean, there's the references in the Old Testament where he fell asleep, and what it really means is that he died. That's not what these people understand when Jesus says she's sleeping. Maybe Jesus is telling a little fib, or maybe he's speaking figuratively, but, but, but really, really, here's the issue. Who are you going to trust? If Jesus Christ says she's sleeping and your eyes say she's dead, who's right? <laughs> That's what happens here, right? Because they are laughing at him because they've seen her and she's dead. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who are with him. That's Peter, James, and John. And they went in where the child was and taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. <laughs> Tabitha kumi means get up. Come on, kid. Up you go. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them, no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. She's alive. So, so, so here's the thing. Did Jesus lie or did he know? Is it that Jesus knows? Jesus knew this demon. He had authority over it. Jesus knew power went out from him. He, he authorized it. Jesus knows the girl's state. He proves it. And it's always going to be the case for you. Do you believe what Jesus says? Do you believe him? Or do you believe what your eyes say? How you know things work. How you know things should be. The world. Don't fear, only believe. Don't fear if Jesus is with you, only trust him. This will be the clarion call of the Bible. This is what the word is about. This is the message proclaimed to you and me today. Jesus Christ has come. He's died for your sins. He lives to rescue. Who do you think you are? If you're the shameful, not free, though you struggle to be free, if, if you're the man at the tombs, Jesus is a savior and a rescuer. But if you're caught up in maximizing pigs, you might not see the need. Jesus has authority and he frees. If you're, if you're unclean and lost and confused about which way is up and, and you just know that you're suffering and you're getting close to Jesus, he, he's your hope. And he's got the power to clean. He doesn't get unclean. He cleans anything he touches. But if you're upright and rational and need everything explained, Jesus may not seem too viable. If you're dead, if you're that lost, if you're done, Jesus has a reality for you. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He raises the dead. That's what he does. His reality is the only reality that matters. But if you won't see it, if you won't look beyond, if you won't hear him, he really just deserves your scorn. That's the presentation of this book. That's the message of this Bible encapsulated in Mark 5, presented for you with three stories. This is Jesus. And by the way, this is you. 
He has all the power. He has all the ability. He has all the will. We get that. And then don't fear, only believe is to realize the state you're in. He's your only hope. You're the man of the tombs. You're the unclean woman. You're the dead girl. And let me end just just one thing. Let me point out one thing. Have you heard of this phrase? Every man, woman, and child? It's not a mistake that Mark presents this morning back to back. A man? (laughs) Crazy. Aren't they all? A woman bleeding. A child. Every man, woman, and child, our only hope is Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is what we have to share, you and I. This is like the man who goes back home and doesn't get to go with Jesus right away. That man gets to say, I have a story to tell, and it's a story of a rescuer. It's not a story of me and how I'm incrementally improving my life by right choices and wise decisions. It's not a story of me slowly getting better on the road to glory. It's a story of being rescued and redeemed when I was dead and lost and in my sin. It's a story of I've been shameful and sometimes I act shamelessly. It's a story where I don't do what I ought to do, but you know what happens? Jesus Christ rescued me. And he rescued you too. And so we gather here and we worship. We don't worship because we hope that we'll get to be better, stronger people. We worship because we've been redeemed. We believe. In this Jesus that we treasure in our heart and we hear today. Maybe you say, maybe you say today, well, that's great, Dax, for these people that are in this book and they got to be in Mark chapter 5. And boy, we don't really know their names, but... They'll forever have that treasured story of being rescued out of this great testimony. And let me just say, every single person has this testimony. If you will be open in your heart about your fears, about your failures, about how Jesus Christ comes in, and he is your life. This is what we have to tell. That our hope is in this kind of Savior that we can transparently, with unity and humility, point to our Savior. Do it with me, will you? Let's pray.